0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's open our Bibles, turn to John chapter six, and stand for the reading of God's Word. John six, picking up at verse twenty-eight. I'm going to go back to twenty-six. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you give for a sign? What then do you do for a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. It is our nourishment. It is the strength that you give to us each and every day. So Father, now as as I preach your word, I pray that you would bless the words of my mouth. And I ask that you would bless every one of the meditations of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So we come back to this chunk uh, of Jesus' dialogue with the crowd that he, remember just the day before, had miraculously fed. That was, that was the day before. He had just finished saying to them that they were not seeking him, but that they were seeking bread so that their bellies might be filled. And we left off with Jesus saying, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of God will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. So, do not work for that food, but work for the food which endures to eternal life, he says there. And that leads the crowd to ask him a question. What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? They're responding to Jesus saying, do not work, but work, right? Work for this. Don't work for that. Work for this. And they're like, okay, tell us what, what, uh, what are those works. And I think, I think they're sort of ignorantly latching onto that word work. What they have in mind is, is a law work, right? A law work that would, would earn them a place in the kingdom, Right, what law work can we do that would put God in our debt and, and he would have to welcome us into his kingdom? This is what the Pharisees would have taught them. Right? They, they want to do the right kind of work so that God is in their debt and has an obligation to repay them for their good deeds. Their question is then, at its core, a question, I think, birthed in the minds of those who think Works righteousness is the key, right? Works righteousness. You're righteous because of what you do. They had heard, you know, they heard Jesus say, you must work. And so now they want to know exactly what they have to do, what kind of works. They want to focus on the fastest route that, you know, they don't want to mess around. They want to get the fastest route to establish their own righteousness, Do you know how common that mindset is? I mean, are we aware how common that mindset is? Do you know that has been the mindset of man through the ages since Adam? Religion and ritual have been man's means, right? Religion and ritual, systems and works have been man's means, he thinks, to... to um, Reach up to God, right? Man's means to impress God or man's means to, to um, put God in their debt. We see an example of this every time we go to the abortion clinic in, in Greenville, right? They're there until exactly 9 a.m. when they go to breakfast are those who repeat the same prayer over and over and over and over and over again. They repeat that same prayer over and over and over and over and over again. And they hold a chain of beads, right? So that they, they know just how many times they've done it. And just where they are in that liturgy. And, they, um, and these works are their righteousness. Right? Right? But it doesn't. It doesn't have to be Hail Marys that people rely on. They can rely on so many other things, right? Uh, Many people rely on having on having the right political views, right? That is your righteousness. That is your salvation. Um, being (laughs) there's a phrase that gets bandied about today that that righteousness. Well. You want to be on the right side of history. You've heard that? And it just makes no sense. I mean, history's a mess, (laughs) you know? I mean, it's like there is no right side of history. History is, I mean, from man's perspective is just failure after failure after failure, okay? But but to be on the right side of history now, people say that is you need to be on the right side of history and then you'll be righteous, right? You'll be be enlightened. You'll be righteous. Many people assert their righteousness by their charitable giving. I mean, not honestly, though, because they just want the tax write-off. There's no such thing as, like, true charitable giving. IRS has ruined it. I think many Presbyterians think righteousness is to be found in the size of your beard or the obscurity of the craft brews that you drink. The more obscure, the darker, the stranger the, the name, the more righteous you are. Right? Or, or one's, one's ability to tie a bow tie. right? And Chuck, I know you're not righteous because your wife ties your ties for you. So, praise the Lord. <laughs> That's good. Substitutionary tie bowing, or bow tying. We, but, but, I mean, the Pres- Presbyterians, we, just as much as a Roman Catholic can trust in our buildings, right, in our heritage, uh, how many people go to Ancestry.com and hope they find some connection in their bloodline to a king or a queen? You know, and, and they pray that they're not in line with, you know, some tyrant, Stalin. You know, it'd be terrible to find that out. And then where would your righteousness be? We, ha- we all have within us an innate pride that pushes us to think that we can work our way into heaven and that salvation is something due to me because of something I've done. That's mankind. That is fallen mankind. We think way too highly of ourselves. We think we can climb up to heaven and impress God. The almighty and holy God. Ryle says doing, doing, doing is their only idea of the way to heaven. Doing, 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 doing. And what Jesus says to them blows this common mistake out of the water. Look at your text. He says this is the work that Of God. This is the work of God. Okay, ready for it? This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Do you see the radical nature of what he has said there? It's only radical because it flies in the face of our proud works righteousness, but it's the whole testimony of Scripture from beginning to end. Right? The work of God, in other words, is not to work, it's to believe. That's it. The work of God is not to work, it is to believe. That is the core of all of Scripture. This was the rallying cry of the Reformation, sola fide, right? By faith alone. The Apostle Paul writes, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. At the very beginning We read of the at the very beginning of scripture. What do we read about? We read about a covenant of grace with Abraham. Adam had broken that covenant of works whereby he had to obey that one command. And what happened after, um, after Adam broke that command? Well, he he broke everything. Every every man descended from the first man was now born dead in their sins and could do nothing at all to please God. Every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil all the time. It says in Genesis 6, right? But to Abraham, read of how he became righteous. How did Abraham become righteous? Well, Genesis 15 lays it out for us. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born of my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This man will not be your heir, but one. Who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And then God took him outside, took him outside the tent and said, Look up. Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. End of story. Is that the end of the story? The next sentence is is so important. Then, Abram believed in the Lord and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. There, he believed in the Lord. He put his trust in the Lord. He believed in the Lord. And what did he get from it? Every bit of righteousness he would ever need. Every single drop of righteousness that his wretched soul needed. Every single bit of merit that Jesus Christ built up for him was his. But it says, then he believed in the Lord. Abraham believed and that belief was what? Reckoned or credited to him as righteousness. It was faith. That saved Abraham, not works. Works followed from his faith because faith without works is dead, of course. But what saved him? Faith. Faith. Belief in God. Believing God's word to him. Believing what God had said. Just believing it. Just, just, that's it. In Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul reflects on God's covenant with Abraham and Abraham's faith, and he explains it all. He says in Romans 4.1, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, if he were justified in this different way, if he became righteous by works, he has something to boast about. He can go before God and say, "Mm, you owe me. He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. Right? It's not a gift. it's, It's just something he's earned. It's, The bill has come due, God's got to pay it. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, blessed are those, listen to this, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. And so we believe, man believes, and God looks upon him as righteous. That is where the importance of Jesus Christ comes in. It is not that, it's not just that we believe and God changes his mind toward us by sweeping sins under the rug, right? Just by sort of ignoring them. That's not how this works, right? No, Jesus Christ was crucified so that sin would be punished. So that your sin would be punished. He stood in your place. Jesus was bruised for your transgressions. He was the lamb that was led to the slaughter. And so Jesus, through his sacrificial death on a tree and his righteous keeping of the law, has done all the works so that when you believe, God is able to be just and the justifier of sinners. Just just by believing. Jesus did everything necessary, living and dying, being righteous, And on the cross, becoming your sin. And now God is pleased to give his son's righteousness to whom? To those who believe. Those who believe. And what is believing? What is believing? The Apostle Paul gives an answer if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And so is that belief your one work that you have to do? Right? You've got you to think some thought and you got to say something with your mouth. Is that the, the two halves of one work that you have to do? No, because the Apostle Paul says that even that belief is a gift, Even that belief, that faith that you have is a gift from him. It's in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that faith not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Oh man. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. God hates the arrogant. God hates the proud. God hates boasters. right but there he is right giving the gift of faith so so belief even this one thing that we would be tempted to say oh, i'm going to believe even better than everybody else is a gift of god even faith even believing on jesus is something that is given to man as a gift what a marvel isn't that god God does everything and then even gives the initiation as a gift. What a merciful God that he would do everything, that he would do absolutely everything for the salvation of his elect. He calls you to believe and to put your trust in Christ, what he has done, turning away from your own works. right? And how arrogant of man to think that he must work and to think his pathetic works Pathetic. I mean, your best work is pathetic. My best work. You know, to think that our pathetic works will merit the favor of a holy God, is there any higher proof of the corruption of mankind than the fact that he thinks he can please God by offering cheap and easy works? I mean, that is the proof of man's depravity. And how astonishing that many choose to seek their salvation by works when God offers it to them for free. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you can have, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk, without cost and without money. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance incline your ear and come to me yet instead of free grace in jesus christ so many people would rather do something so that they can continue to boast oh boasting boasting i mean don't don't we like to boast We boast all the time about the stupidest things. We're boasters. Uh, um, There's a malignancy in man that refuses to give up credit, that refuses to give up his boast. He would rather, you know, enter into the presence of God with his 24,000 Hail Marys, or his diplomas, or his poems, or his paintings, or his burnt offerings, or a detailed list of, you know, a detailed list of all the tithes and offerings he's ever made. Or, you know, his straight teeth. His straight teeth. Straight teeth. His body mass index. Hey God, look at my BMI. He would rather do that. I mean, we would rather do that. We would rather retain that boast than receive the righteousness of Christ that is by faith. It is a f- It is in fact true that there is a kind of annihilation to man's ego that comes with putting one's faith in Jesus Christ. It annihilates your ego. Every man who who does so genuinely, everyone who believes genuinely in Jesus Christ knows that his righteousness apart from Christ is filthy menstrual rags. And I'm quoting scripture, right? I'm not just using a terrible example like straight teeth, right? A righteousness apart from Christ is filthy menstrual rags that... And so everyone who comes to faith knows that and that he is nothing and that not only is he nothing special, but he is dead and has spent his life opposing everything that is good, right? Hostile in mind toward God. So when Christ calls a man, he, as Bonhoeffer says, bids him come and die. Die. That's all. Believe. Believe and then die. Believe and then just be annihilated in your, yourself. Believe and just see how everything you thought had significance by the, the, because of how it was produced by your own strength is actually just sin. But many people still would rather have their boast than have life in Christ and lose that boast What a realization it will be for for those in hell that they refused Christ because they wanted to brag about their own accomplishments. For much, much less than the whole world, many forfeit their own souls. Ryle says, Exhortations to work excite no prejudice And enmity, it is the exhortation to believe that (laughs) offense. What do you mean? You're going to take everything away from me? What do you mean everything in my life has been insignificant? Don't you know I spent six years getting my doctorate? I mean, you're going to take that away from me, Jesus? Don't you know I worked for NASA? I mean, don't you know that that I, I can actually skate through the skateboard park and not bash my skull in? I spent hundreds of hours learning those moves. Don't, don't you know that? Don't you care? Right? And, and, we, and, and so we get offended. And, and so when we're told to work, man, every, every, no one gets upset. Work, work, work. Yeah, you, you are special. You know? Yes, you can do it. You can do whatever you set your mind to, right? Be all you can be, right? Do, 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 do. And no one gets upset about that. But the minute you say, believe, well, you're, you're just blowing up everybody's, everybody's facade. You're taking out their well-painted facade and blowing it up. And that's why I say there's a, there's a kind of annihilation to ourselves that comes when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. The crowds respond to Jesus' call to believe in him. They say, what do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now, we all know what is so crazy about that statement, right? Right? They've just received the sign of the bread and fish. They've just seen a miracle and no doubt they've heard or even seen others, right? And here now that Jesus says to them, believe in me, they demand proof. Do some works and then maybe we'll believe. Give us some reason to believe in you, they are saying. In other words, they want to live by sight, then their faith will follow, but faith is is that which brings sight. Right? Faith is that which will bring sight of Jesus Christ. Faith, that gift that comes with the indwelling of the Spirit and rebirth by the Spirit, opens the eyes of the blind. And Faith is what apprehends the glory of Jesus Christ. So they want sight before faith when it is faith which brings sight. That's what they're doing here. And this is... Pre- and yet Jesus has given them so many sights. And this is precisely why they, they so quickly forgot or perhaps they never even understood what they had seen the previous day. They did not have eyes to see it or ears to hear it. They did not have eyes to see it. And so like blind men, they, they didn't see, right? And remember, this was what the Jews frequently demanded of Jesus. Give us a sign. Show us something of your power. Show us something. The Apostle Paul summarizes the Jews' approach to Jesus when, when he says of them in 1 Corinthians, the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks search for wisdom, but that's not what we're going to give. We're going to be handing out Christ crucified through the preached word. Right? We preach Christ crucified to Jews' a stumbling block and a Gentile's foolishness. The Jews don't like it because it's not a sign, and the Gentiles don't like it because it's not their philosophy. Are you waiting for some kind of sign too? Is that what holds you back from Jesus Christ? And that's a pity because God has filled this world with signs. He's filled this world with signs. The glory of the human mind, the beauty of the sunrise, the vastness of this universe... Right? And, and more than all of those things, the Word of God, right, which brings to you every evidence you ever need to see, to know, to believe, and to trust in Jesus Christ. There are none so blind as those who will not see. Right? And God has placed these things in front of you and placed the Word of God. Now, at this point in the text, the people get nasty. Crowds get nasty. They bring up Moses. Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. I believe what they're doing at this point is saying that Jesus has done nothing that hasn't been done before. You know, Moses did this. This You know. So perhaps, you know, they, they do remember what he did, but they are not impressed. Like a magician who, who pulls a rabbit out of a hat for the hundredth time, we're like, okay, not impressed anymore. All right? Seen that before. Remember verse 2 of chapter 6. Verse 2 of chapter 6 says they followed Jesus initially because of the signs. They've seen other signs, and, and then they want to make him king, <laughs> and then he rebukes them, and then they are not impressed. Right? They're just so fickle. They, they are so uh, blown about, so swayed by their opinions. The only thing that would bring them any stability would be faith. Putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus then gives them a solemn teaching, beginning with that double amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is making sure they understand that it was his Father that gave them bread in the wilderness. And it is the Father now that is giving them a better bread. The bread of heaven. The manna only fed their bodies. Right? All that was was food. The manna fed their bodies and the true bread of heaven eaten by faith gives them salvation from their sins. It's a way better bread. Right? Manna may have been a type or a shadow, but Christ is now the reality. And so, as we've gone through chapter 6, we see a crowd that is typical of so many people we know. Christ is offered to them in the Word, and the preaching of the Word, and they would rather have a fattened belly f- from physical bread. We see a people who think that life consists merely in eating and drinking and the body. We see a people who want a sign but are blind to all the signs that have been provided around them. We see a very wide gate here that leads to destruction and a very narrow gate that leads to life. And as Jesus said, there are few who find it. Few who find that narrow path. Then these people say, Lord, always give us this bread. Do you think they are asking for Jesus there? Do you think that indicates faith? Well, we know what lies ahead, and very shortly they'll be saying this about Jesus. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Right? How, how does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Right, so they're very quickly going to get to that point where they're just like this, this, this little punk, the kids played Little League with him. and So now, you know, it's clear that to, to give us this bread, they, they still want sourdough. They, they want their bellies filled. They want their religion to give them something to eat and an earthly king to adore, right? Give us an earthly king. Give us things to eat. Let's keep this kingdom in this world, these Jews are fixated on what lies before their eyes. They only care about this world. They continue to, to uh, hand on uh, to their boast. And, you know, they continue to just boast and only think of God as some kind of, of afterthought. They've put their faith in themselves, essentially. Calvin makes the point that their statement is said ironically. This statement, Lord, always give us this bread. He writes, "There is no doubt that they speak ironically to accuse Christ of vain boasting when he said that he would be able to give the bread of life." Thus, wretched men, while they while they reject the promises of God, are not satisfied with this evil alone, but put Christ in their room, as if he were chargeable with their unbelief. In other words, Calvin is saying. Here is Christ giving himself to them, born of a woman, standing among them, feeding them, performing miracles. Here he is giving them the bread of life and they say, well, always give us this bread then, you know, just give it to us then already. And they are, as Calvin said, blaming God for their own unbelief. They're Blaming him. You need to give us this bread. You need to give us the, you need to do this. Give us this then already, you know, would you now? Christ is before you in the preaching of his word, right? He has told you through the preaching of the word this very day that he is the bread of heaven, right? He says to you, taste and see that the Lord is good, but will you stand aloof and say ironically, well, always give me this bread even while you refuse it. Always give me this even as you reject it, retain your boast. Always, you know, always give me this thing that you you're offering. That is not what we would do. They 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 are throwing back in Jesus' face what he has offered to them. Acting ironically. It's very sad right? But our task is to come to Christ. All of you here are to come to Christ. You're to taste and see, right? You're to believe and be saved. And that faith, that belief is then credited to you as your righteousness. It is all of your works. It is all that you need. It is God's work applied to you through Jesus Christ. And that is all good. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would always open our eyes to your glory. And that that would, seeing your glory, that we would believe. We would rest in you. We would trust in you. Father, we would, we would see the bankruptcy of our own works by which we thought we would rise up to heaven. Father, I I pray that we would trust in you fully. That our faith would be the faith that believes that you are and you are a rewarder of those who seek you. And how stupendous, Father, that you supply that faith to your children. You give them that faith as a gift. We will eternally praise you and thank you for that gift. We will rest in you and just be in awe that we were put on that narrow path by the faith that you gave to us. Father, as we contemplate now coming to your table and eating of bread, Lord, I pray that our faith would be active and strong that we would partake of these elements by faith not trusting in ourselves not trusting in our own righteousness not thinking that, that um, we have done and kept ourselves perfect and have done everything that's required to please a holy God but Father despairing of our own works and calling out for the righteousness of Christ which we need given to us we need applied to us And we thank you that it has been applied, that you have given good gifts to your children, foremost of which is salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.